Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstravel.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. We're recording the trail less traveled this evening on the eastern coast of Australia. We are located just about a 20-minute walk south of Noosa National Park. Noosa National Park is a phenomenal place to catch a wave. That's where I met the guest I'm going to be featuring on the trail as traveled this evening. Noosa National Park had indigenous Aboriginal Australians of the Kabi Kabi Nation living within its trees and on its shores up until the 1920s. And nowadays it's pretty nicely developed with a bunch of walking paths. Uh, and you'll encounter many, many surfers early, early in the morning heading out to different surf locations, such as Tea Tree Bay or Granite Bay. And it's a bit windy. You might hear the wind in the background. From where I'm sitting right now, I can see the ocean with a bunch of white caps and the occasional kite surfer heading up or down the coast. This evening, I'm featuring Eddie Goldorosena. Eddie, my first question for you is, where did you grow up and how is adventure a part of your childhood? Hello, Mandela. Good to be here. It's a pleasure meeting you today out surfing, sort of a serendipitous encounter. I met your friend Wes from Montana, and we started talking, and then I met his friend Chris, and then I met you. Anyway, it's just all been kind of a serendipitous event. So happy to be here and glad for, thank you for hosting me. I'm from Buenos Aires, Argentina, originally. That's where I was born. Argentina's in South America, just below Brazil and Uruguay. It makes up the southern cone of South America, along with a sliver on the other side, which is Chile. Buenos Aires is the capital of, of Argentina, a sprawling city, 10 to 15 million people. I was born there, but I moved to the States when I was six years old. And I think that's where the adventure began, to answer your question moving with my parents that are very Argentinian to an American culture was was a big shift. Obviously, I adapted very quickly being six years old, but I grew up with two parents that were, you know, very traditionally Argentinian. So moving to the U.S. when I was a young kid, I was very into sports at a very young age. My parents made us play golf and tennis, and I even played American football, even having not been originally from America. I played soccer. played a lot of the more traditional sports. I'd say my parents were very traditional in their upbringing, very traditional Catholic Argentinian. For those of you who don't know, Argentina had a huge immigration from Spanish and Italian immigrants, so I'm a mix of Spanish and Italian, European, and very Catholic background. My, you know, whole different topic, my spirituality has evolved, and I, I don't consider myself, you know, Catholic. But just to give you a flavor of my parents and their whole mentality. My parents, you know, the idea of adventure sports was non-existent to them. Skateboarding, surfing, snowboarding, rock climbing, 
all those things were things they didn't grow up with very foreign to them but things that really attracted me from a from a very young age I remember the first time when we went to the beach in in Uruguay when I was a little kid I loved the waves I loved playing in the waves I loved being in the ocean just the way that the water would just roll up the sand and sort of glisten and it would have this white foamy powder on it and it would just kind of wash over your feet and you'd be running back and forth you know having that water line chase you and just feeling the raw power of the ocean the smell the salty air just everything around the ocean really called my name now when i moved to the states i actually moved to the midwest uh, which was a huge cultural shift i lived in minnesota for two years where i actually picked up hockey which i thought was incredible at the time because when at six years old would you have that much responsibility they put you on ice skates and push you out into this rink hardly even know how to skate but i had a stick and some pads on and i could run into people hit people and and skate around it felt like complete freedom i loved hockey and unfortunately i had to give it up two years later when we moved to kansas city in the midwest bit of a tangent my father worked in the grain trading industry he sold grains to the russians and for those of you who don't know argentina produce a lot of grains and corn wheat soybeans just outside of buenos aires where i'm from there's an area of argentina called las pampas which are basically like flatlands you can kind of envision it similar to kansas just big flatlands with a lot of very fertile land and so argentina produces a lot of these crops and you know exports them around the world so that's one of the reasons why we ended up in the midwest of the usa so anyway growing up i was a bit of a rebellious child so to speak i mean i did not fit the mold of the more traditional argentinian that you know how my parents grew up coming to america and you're sitting in class with an african-american an indian a native american you know a white person you know someone of latin descent really just america is the melting pot and that for me was very different because in argentina you know everybody's spanish italian and everybody's catholic you know it's very unilateral the way people are and the families all have kind of similar structure and you know we moved to this country where you meet all these different people with all these different backgrounds and all these different belief systems and it really makes you you know question like okay well why is it this way or or why is it that way and i think that that was a really powerful thing for me because growing up in america i didn't have the family infrastructure that i would have had in argentina you know in argentina i have my cousins i think 21 cousins aunts and uncles and grandmothers Uh, both of my grandfathers were dead when i was born so i had that whole family structure that you know a lot of people have in their life wherever they grow up and when we moved to the states it was just me and my mom and dad and one of my sisters because my two older sisters were already out of the household in growing up with the american culture that you know kind of led to a bit of an identity crisis in a way because you know i knew i wasn't really american you know my family wasn't from there you know the household culture wasn't american and i almost felt like I wasn't fully Argentinian either because I didn't grow up there all my life you know even though we would go back and visit every year or two and I have a very close relationship with all the rest of my family that's down there my accent's slightly different when I speak in Spanish than the locals and and obviously I didn't go to school and grow up there so you know I think that that's what led me 
to kind of seek freedom, you know, to seek travel and adventure and connection around the world. When I was in high school, I got really into playing guitar and I found this band, which some of you might know, called Fish with a PH. And Fish is a band that's been around for 30 years. It started in 1984, which ironically enough was the year I was born. I sometimes say that Fish sort of has been the soundtrack of my life. But Fish is a band that took after the Grateful Dead and they, they acquired a large following based on their live concert experience. And their live concert experience is really built upon improvisation and letting go letting go of any preconceptions letting go of anything and just letting the music flow through you know fish sometimes talks about themselves as shamans like they're just shamans that the music already exists out there in the universe all sounds and all music is already there they're just the vessel by which we can hear that and they create these cathartic ethereal experiences in their shows they take you through this ride and every single show is completely different it's never the same and I was really drawn to that mentality, that mind frame of, you know, letting go, living in the moment. Not only that, but also all the people that would go see fish. So they had this big following of travelers that would come from far and wide across the USA to see this band night in and day out, not knowing what they were going to do the next night. And I remember when I was 14, my mom took me and a couple of friends to our first fish show. And I literally remember pulling up over the hill to Sandstone Amphitheater in 1998 and just seeing this almost like a circus looking thing you know VW buses school buses just people long hair you know loose fitting clothing tie-dye shirts and this communal energy that existed there and I, I just remember seeing that and kind of being in awe right away and I like I just knew I loved it from the get-go I don't know I think looking back fish has played an important role in my life not only for the adventures that it's given me over the years but also you know looking at the band members how they manifested their reality and and kind of the genius behind fish and the life lessons behind that not only in the music that they play but in the messages that are hidden in their music in the messages that are hidden in their jams in the genius behind you know the trickery of of their tours and their halloween shows and their new year's shows and it makes you realize that anything is possible if you put your mind to it and if you follow your dreams. You know, you can really kind of create your own reality, and that's what they did. And that's definitely been a huge inspiration for me throughout the years. That is the voice of Eddie Goldo Rosena, and we are recording the trail less traveled on the coast of Australia. We're located about 150 odd kilometers north of Brisbane right now in Noosa, which is a short beach walk south of Noosa National Park. Eddie, it's now time for a song. So is there a song that reminds you of your early childhood adventures that you could perhaps share with us? Well, it's kind of funny because you asked me this earlier to think about it, and it's very topical because my first song is a fish song, and it's called Chalk Dust Torture. And there's a lyric in the song that goes, Can I live while I'm young? Can I live while I'm young? And... I think that really sums up my high school and, and youth years. It was that rebellious going on fish tour, going snowboarding, going skateboarding, partying, and just seeking that freedom and adventure. And I think that song, the energy of the song, really sums that up. Good day, mate. This is Joe coming to you from the Sunshine Coast in Eastern Australia. 
The Trail Less Travelled podcast is sponsored by Desert Green Hemp, family farmed, organically grown, tested and manufactured in Sisters, Oregon. Desert Green is a collective of farms on the eastern foothills of the Oregon Cascade Range that grow and produce the highest quality full-spectrum CBD products currently on the market. The rich volcanic mountain soils, dry climate and directly sourced mountain spring waters are what gives Desert Green uniquely pure and powerful CBD products. They also grow a variety of herbs and flowers on their farms that not only provide a direct source for some of their products, but also introduce beneficial bugs and pollinators to their land. Visit DesertGreenHemp.com and remember to use the promo code MANDELA. M-A-N-D-E-L-A. This promo code will get you discounts and special offers. That promo code, Mandela, directly helps you and the future of Adventure Radio. This evening, the trail has travelled as being recorded on the eastern coast of Australia. We're sitting here within sight of the ocean with Eddie Goldorosena. Eddie was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and moved to the United States by the age of six. He had a quite a juxtaposition when he moved here and lived in Minnesota for the first two years. And then somehow you ended up in San Diego and eventually down to New Zealand, where you learned how to surf, and all over the world. So, Eddie, one of my questions for you is about Argentina. Maybe some of your earliest memories of home. And also, can you tell us a little bit about the culture in Argentina? For example, Yerba Mate and the conception of time there. You know, some of the delicious details of the culture that your family stems from. It's funny because my dad, when I was a little bit older, like 10 years old, he would always ask me, do you remember when you were a a little boy? And when you're 10 you kind of I don't know you sort of remember but you kind of don't you know you're, you're sort of like not really but you have these sort of vague memories and I think that as you grow older you kind of actually remember more and more it all kind of becomes more clear but I think one of my earliest memories of Argentina well one would just be my dad my dad was uh, a super loving very family oriented guy my parents have you know just had their 50 year, year anniversary last year and they're still as jovial and as flirtatious as they ever were, which is really nice to see. Just playing with my dad in the pool and throw me around, um, just kind of that love that we had in the family. I always sort of remember that. The other thing is I have three sisters. Uh, we're very separate in age. My oldest sister's 50. I'm just turned 35. My parents had us over the years very spread out, but I have various cousins, 20 cousins, but one of my father's sisters, Cora, has four sons. And so I was always like the fifth brother to them. And they've always sort of been, you know, very close to me and some of the closest people in my life. But, you know, my earliest memories is going to, to their farm and riding horses and playing rugby and playing soccer and doing asados and asados in Argentina are like barbecues you might have heard about the meat in Argentina it's it's very well known for the quality of its meat some people you know if, if you don't eat meat you might have a tough time in Argentina because there's not really many other options either I guess there are some empanadas that, that aren't meat oriented but you know basically almost every time you go to a party or you go to a restaurant 80% of the things on the menu or more are going to be meat those are a couple of the key memories 
Argentina is a place, like I mentioned earlier, that has a, a big Spanish and Italian kind of blend of history. So, you know, it's a very European type of culture. A lot of people refer to Buenos Aires as the Paris of South America because of the architecture and the culture and the, and the way people are. It's a very Catholic country historically. Obviously, it's, a, it's evolved through time like every other place in the world. And, you know, now people are, are definitely moving more towards regular spirituality, but it has that sort of Catholic underpinning and background. You know, it's got a big culture around horses and and the gaucho. The gaucho is the equivalent of a cowboy in the States, but in Argentina, they're mountain folk that take care of the farm animals or that live in the mountains and are almost kind of nomadic in a way. You know, like I mentioned, we eat a lot of a lot of meat. We also eat a lot of dulce leche, which is <laughs> is like condensed milk, but it's cooked for many, many more hours, and it creates this almost like caramel type thing. But it's it's almost more decadent and and sweeter than than the caramel we know in the states. And anyway, we put dulce de leche on, which translates literally to the sweet of milk. We put it on everything. So we have dulce leche ice cream. We put it on bananas. We we have all of our desserts. We stuff it inside of our croissants it's delicious i love it i grew up with it i crave it i miss it we have a lot of big culture in wine obviously malbec is from argentina we have very good chocolate very good wine good coffee so you know the food is very very good and then we have you know a, a very strong sports culture as well very big in rugby soccer as most of you would know Lionel messi is from argentina uh, we've won the World Cup twice. You know, we're now in the four nations, along with South Africa, New Zealand, and Australia in rugby. You know, a lot of tennis. To sum it up, it's a European style of country with a very strong food culture, a very strong nightlife culture. So I'm kind of going on a tangent here. But um, as Mandela mentioned, everything kind of is very relaxed there. The time goes by slower. You know, everything kind of is later. If you ask an Argentinian to be somewhere at 8, 8 p.m., you'd be lucky if they show up by 8.30 or 9. Most restaurants don't even open till 9 or 10 at night. So unlike the USA where you're, you'd be hard-pressed to find a meal after 10, here, you know, you're, you, if you like to eat late, you're flourishing. People eat up until, you know, 1, 2 in the morning. Then you go to the bar and then you go to the club, which, you know, most people will stay at till 6, 7 in the morning, way past sunrise. It's a different style of life, a different culture, but, you know, again, predominantly very, very European background, which kind of gives it that unique flavor that is Argentina. That is the voice of Eddie Goldorosena, and we are recording the trail less traveled today on the eastern coast of Australia. But it's a treat. It's a real treat to hear about Argentina while we're over here in Australia. And Eddie, I'd love to speak with you now about your journey you mentioned today when we were sitting under the trees near the surf that you went to New Zealand at 22 and that's where you learned how to surf and surfing is quite a passion for you it's pretty obvious you're going around the world right now and surfing as many places as you can sounds like you just got back from New Zealand we were surfing at Nusha National Park today you're heading to South Africa and so how did that come to be did you just... Everybody was asking me today, like, what's his story? I'm like, I haven't asked yet. I was going to wait till the radio interview. So yeah. tell us a little bit about that part of your journey. Yeah. Well, kind of interesting. 
like I said, I, I didn't grow up around the ocean in the Midwest of the USA, but I originally had that experience as a young boy in Uruguay because that's where we would go to vacation from Buenos Aires. We'd go to Uruguay to go to the beach. And I had had that initial connection with the ocean at a young age, and I knew I loved the ocean. So even though I spent my childhood away from the ocean, I always knew I loved it. I grew up snowboarding and skating, and I always loved the adventure sports. I studied on the East Coast. I went to university at the University of Richmond in Virginia and had an adventure studying abroad in San Sebastian, Spain one year. That's actually where I initially tried to surf twice. The first time I put this big longboard in front of my head when a wave was coming and the wave hit the board, which eventually slammed me in the head. Learn not to do that ever again, and I always tell people that are going out for the first time, don't put the board between you and the breaking wave unless you want to get smashed by it. After I graduated college, I had a girlfriend, and she was going to study abroad in New Zealand. She had this fascination with New Zealand from a young age, and I had heard about it at the time, but I, you know, I didn't really have any plans to go there. But since I was graduating, and I, I didn't really want to work right away, I wanted to travel you know, and see some of the world. And so I got a year-long visa to go to New Zealand and work there while she was going to be studying. So we moved to the southern South Island, this little town called Dunedin. She studied. I worked. Uh, I got a job there. We ended up buying a van with a bed in it. It was a 1980 Toyota Light Ace. It was orange. We called it Pumpkin. still love that thing. I wonder where it is today, if it's still alive. The first six months, I didn't surf. You know, we did a bit of rock climbing. I was rock climbing at the time. We did some snowboarding, and we traveled around and sort of hiked and explored the country. After six months, she had to go back to the States, and I still had a visa that was had six more months on it. And so I didn't have to be back in the States, and, you know, I, I was really free at the time. And I said, well, I'm going to stay because, uh, you know, we've surfed a couple times, and I, I really made the decision, like, I want to learn how to surf. It was like uh, something clicked in my head that it wasn't just something that I was going to try out or whatever. It was I was really going to just spend the next five, six months just surfing every single day. So I dropped her off at the airport. I had $30 to my name, and I went on a hike in Tongariro National Park, which is where they shot the Lord of the Rings, the Mordor, which is the, the very last scene where the, you know, all the volcanic type of fiery landscape. I went there and did a three-day hike and to clear my head and decide where I was going to move to. And I decided to move to the West Coast, this little town called New Plymouth, and I was going to learn how to surf. So I moved to this town, no money, but I had a van. I ended up meeting this guy, Sam, that gave me a job in a bar in downtown New Plymouth it was the coolest bar in the whole town and I lived above the bar in an old movie theater that was no longer working the movie screen was still up and it had movie seats and it had an Xbox 360 hooked up to a projector with huge speakers and it had a flat and it had three rooms inside of this this place and so Sam was like do you, you know do you want to live here and I was sort of skeptical a little bit because I'm like really this is you know it's too good to be true and I'm like well I'll come stay for a night and see how it goes I stayed for a night and it went great Sam was like okay just put this little armoire and this this little cot of a bed in this room it was maybe like a six by five foot room maybe slightly bigger and so I moved in and he's like okay well I run a poker tournament two nights a week at two different bars so you're going to help me run those poker tournaments with your van. We're going to transport all the tables, and we're going to run these two poker tournaments, one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday, and we'll split the money, but that money will just be your rent. So you help me do that two nights a week, and that's your rent. You can live in this movie theater. 
And then the rest of the week, I would work in the bar downstairs matinee. And he would pay me under the table, $12 an hour, I remember. So I worked in this bar where we would play Fat Freddy's Drop and other New Zealand reggae. And we would just have the best time. The owner of the bar was never there. He really didn't care too much. So it was very <laughs> relaxed all local patrons and we had these amazing parties and a lot of times we had these after parties upstairs in the old movie theater we had all sorts of stuff going on it was absolutely an incredible time i got a surfboard from a local surf shop there the guy said pay as you go i asked him if he'd be willing to you know if i gave him a hundred bucks and i'd pay the rest every week because i didn't have money so he gave me this board which is by the way the totally the wrong board it was a 610 pintail. It was probably made for someone 250 pounds that wants to ride a 15-foot wave. And, you know, I didn't really know any better because I, I was a, a beginner. But I got this board and, and basically started going surfing every single day. And slowly but surely started learning. And I remember to this day the first actual wave that I got that changed my life. I was surfing at Back Beach in New Plymouth, this beautiful beach with these islands kind of popping offshore, just a stunning, surreal scene. For those of you who don't know, Taranaki in New Plymouth is in the North Island of New Zealand, when Taranaki and is the region is on the west coast of the North Island, and smack in the middle of this region is this massive volcano. It's literally just a standalone volcano. For those of you that have seen The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise, the volcano that is used in that movie as Mount Fuji, that was actually filmed in Taranaki using Mount Taranaki. A stunning, stunning volcano. So every time you're in the water, you're surfing, and you just look up and you see the snow-covered, perfect triangle of the volcano. And literally, I would just get goosebumps every time I paddle out. Just the feeling of the ocean and, and just the, the scenery around there was stunning. But this one day, it was a bit bigger, and it was kind of scary, but the conditions were immaculate. It was glassy, just beautiful. I'd never seen waves like this in my life. And, you know, when you're a beginner, you don't really know when to go. You just kind of go and hope for the best. You know, over the years, you kind of learn tides and the swell direction and, and what the wind's doing, and you sort of learn how to pinpoint the times of the day that you want to go surf. Anyway, this one particular day, I got really lucky because I went out and it was perfect. And it was probably a little bit too big for me. It was probably, you know, to call it six foot on the face. But I went out and I met this guy out there and, and started talking to this guy. And this wave came in and I wouldn't have known to go. But he, he says, go, this is you. This is you. Turn around, go. So I turn around and I paddle for this wave. And I remember I, I catch it perfectly and I stand up and I just see this big wall of water just to my left and and I I'm riding this wave and I stick my hand out and I'm touching the wave and I ride the wave to its conclusion and I kick out the back and literally it was like my entire body was filled with adrenaline and I think I actually yelled just to kind of release some of that adrenaline rush but that magical moment of standing up and riding that wave and seeing that wall of water was just life-changing and from then on, I knew that, you know, I would be chasing surf around the world. So that was my experience in New Zealand. I ended up going traveling with some of the money I made in the bar. I sold the van and I went traveling to Asia for a couple months. I went to Bali, Thailand, Malaysia, did a bit of surfing. And then it was time to get real and get a job. 
That is the voice of Eddie Goldorosena, and we've been speaking to Eddie about a year that he spent in New Zealand learning how to surf, and that passion has taken him all over the world, which we're going to learn more about when we come back, as well as his new project, Flow Rad. But Eddie, it's now time for another song. What song reminds you of your time in New Zealand, Aotearoa, the land of the long white cloud? Thanks, Vandela. So um, I'm going to play a song by Fat Freddy's Drop called Roadie. As I mentioned earlier, I worked in a bar and we would play Fat Freddy's Drop all day. And it's a band that is definitely in my top five. I love them. I've been dying to see them for 12 years, ever since I lived in New Zealand. I once flew to Croatia from San Diego to a festival that they were playing at, but arrived a day too late and missed the show. That was as close as I'd come. And more recently, when I went to New Zealand just a few weeks ago, I had my flights booked, and I look up online because I was wondering when Fat Freddy's was playing or if they were playing, and it turned out they were playing their last show of the New Zealand tour the day that I was arriving to New Zealand. They were playing in Wellington. I was arriving to Auckland, so I booked a separate flight on the same day down to Wellington and saw my first Fat Freddy's concert just a few weeks ago. And it was every bit as awesome as I thought it would be. So here to Fat Freddy's drop. This evening, the trail has traveled is being recorded on a gusty evening on the coast of Australia. We are in Queensland. We are about 150 odd kilometers north of Brisbane. I am drinking a delicious beer. The ghost of eerie pale ale it's brewed and packed in australia it's good it's cold that's what matters looking out at the ocean i'm sunburned pretty bad i put sunburn everywhere except the back of my legs and i was laying on a surfboard for a couple hours so that is how i'm feeling right now but eddie could you paint the picture of what it's like for you this evening in australia what are you looking at Thanks, Vandela. Well, I'd say that I'm pretty happy it's not 90 degrees right now because it's been absolutely scorching here for the last few days, and I'm currently living in a van. <laughs> and it gets really, really, really hot at night, so I'm actually thankful for the weather right now. But there's a kind of a gusty ocean breeze coming in. I'd maybe say it's stronger than a breeze. It's a gusty wind that's coming out of the southeast which is actually ideal for the point breaks here in Noosa, Australia. For those of you that don't know, a point break is uh, generally formed from a headland. It's when the coastline creates a big sweeping headland and there's a big point, so to speak, and the waves can come in crashing along that point and create very nice long rides. And Noosa is actually famous for that because it has a very long point with various waves along that point. And that point faces north, so the south winds actually blow offshore there from the land out to sea, which creates a nice sea texture to surf on. So, Mandela, we're in the right place. It's cloudy, blue, in between the kind of pinkish clouds, palm trees, pine trees, and very green vegetation fluttering. And we're sitting here on the balcony just looking out at the ocean, white capping and, and gusty very ominous kind of feel to it tonight beautiful eddie i'd like to ask you now of your journey to new zealand you're on a trip around the world surfing you just got back from new zealand you're in australia now how did you come to be where you are right now what's this journey all about 
Well, so in the last segment, we left off that I had been in New Zealand and I had to actually work. So I actually had a career, believe it or not. I worked in finance. I studied international business and economics, mainly because my family lives around the world. And my dad was an international businessman. I have three sisters. Two of them are married. Both of them work in finance. And I felt that I needed to keep up with my family because we all lived in different parts of the world. My parents moved back to Argentina when I was 21. So all my family is in Argentina. And my three sisters live around the world. One lives in Portugal. One lives in London. And the oldest one is still in Argentina. But I felt like I needed to do something that allowed me to travel and allowed me to see my family, to keep up, right? And so... I developed a career in finance as an analyst in the investment management industry. I didn't know anything early on. It was a, it was a steep learning curve, but you know, after 12 years, I you know became a financial professional. You know, a lot of hard work went into that. I actually I lived in Switzerland and Geneva for six months when I was 24. I then lived in New York City for about five years. I worked there, and then over the last six years of my life, I was in San Diego, California which I now happily call my home within the USA. Backtracking on that, though, throughout that whole journey, after my time in New Zealand, I knew I wanted to travel again. I knew that, I, that it wasn't enough and that I wanted to do it again at a more mature phase in my life where I had more knowledge, I learned more about the world, and I, and I could actually travel with a very targeted objective of you know what I wanted to get out of it and what I wanted to see kind of the, the interactions and the experiences that I wanted to have you know when you travel when you're young when you're 22 you're kind of in the moment and things happen you go to one place and the next and you have an incredible amazing experience but it sort of just happens and you don't have as much control and I think that doing it at a bit of an older age where you have more maturity you can get more out of it and so after that initial year-long trip to New Zealand and to Asia I knew that I want to do this again at an older age and I literally started manifesting that 10 years ago 10 to 12 years ago everything in my life was working towards that direction uh, I wanted to surf the best waves in the world and travel around the world so you know when I lived in New York and when I lived in San Diego I was surfing all the time improving my surfing going on surf trips to Central America South America Europe almost every vacation was somewhere to improve my surfing I got a job in, in San Diego, also serendipitously. This company found me on LinkedIn, sent me an email. We're looking for an analyst in La Jolla, California. I didn't even know where La Jolla was. It could have been outside of San Francisco for all I knew. I put it in Google. I saw I was in San Diego. I couldn't believe it. I knew it was for me right then and there. I knew that some bigger power put that there for me. I emailed the company, got an interview. It turns out the first guy that interviewed me was a big fish fan. He went to school in Vermont where fish is from. We hit it off. I hit it off with everybody else. And lo and behold, two months later, I was out in California working for this company. You know, I spent the next six years of my life living in San Diego, putting money aside and manifesting this bigger journey that I'm on right now. Last year, everything pieced together. All I had to do was acknowledge that it was happening and just follow it and jump off that cliff. So I quit my job last June. And the day after I quit, I went to Cuba for a week, which was absolutely fascinating. Likely do a whole segment on Cuba because it is that fascinating, and I recommend anybody to go there. It was hugely eye-opening. Came back, closed up shop in La Jolla, and then I moved into my van. I actually have a van in California. It's a green color. I got it painted in Tijuana, and they actually 
painted it the wrong color and now it's a bright green which I guess I'm kind of proud of but I'm not really the color I wanted it's kind of embarrassing a little bit but anyway that's a, that's a whole other topic but I lived in the van for a month and a half traveled up and down the west coast I drove from Seattle on the 101 along the whole coast surfing back to San Diego and, and then I flew to Bali I've spent three months in Indonesia surfing. I went around various different islands. Bali, for those of you who don't know, is an island in Indonesia. It's a well-known island now. It's you know highly trafficked by a lot of tourists and became very popular, not only for its culture and its food and its nightlife, but it's got some of the best waves in the world, some of the best climate in the world. It's, it's truly a magical place. But for those of you that want to go to Indonesia, I highly recommend you get out of Bali because Bali has become you know, highly trafficked by a lot of tourists and, you know, you can easily have an experience there where you don't even mix with the local people of that, you know, if, if you don't really go out of your way to find local connections and things like that, you can just be hanging out with Europeans the whole time and, and Americans and that ultimately wouldn't give you the type of experience that we're looking for. I spent some time in Bali, but I went to Lombok, traveled all over there. I actually rented a motorbike and went on a five-week journey and my motor scooter with my surfboards on the side of the motor scooter took two ferries went all over Lombok surfed one of the best waves in the world called Desert Point got the best barrel of my life the barrel is when you actually get inside of the tube of the wave so the breaking wave breaks over your head and you're in a tube and that's ultimately the mecca of surfing that's what we're all chasing that experience that in the momentness of being inside the tube that's you know the driving force of you know most surfers around the world and then I crossed over to the other island, Sumbawa, which I visited various waves over there. Hardly any people there. Stunning, absolutely beautiful place. I traveled a bit in Java, saw some of the big temples. I hiked a big volcano over there called Mount Bromo. And then when all was said and done in Indonesia, I went and spent a month in the Philippines, uh, which was also incredible. There's an island called Shirgao on the east coast, which is you know, a little secret paradise on earth. I spent some time surfing there and, and exploring. And unfortunately, my father had a, a stroke, a small stroke last year. He's totally fine, but I had to go back to Argentina for six weeks. And it just so happened that I was flying through New Zealand. And so after my six-week stay in Argentina, I said, perfect, I'll get to go back to New Zealand for the first time in 12 years. And that's what I did. Sorry for the tangent. To answer your question, what, I'm basically now just traveling around the world for the next two to three years and uh, I'm in search of not only the perfect wave, but also in search of connection, experiences, learning about humanity, all the different cultures and peoples from around the world. You know, the more and more I travel, the more and more I realize that we're all the same. You know, we all eat, we all sleep, we all make love, we all have feelings, we all breathe, we're all the same, we're all made out of the same thing, no matter what your race is or what your sex is or what have you. Uh, traveling around the world really is amazing because it helps to break down all these barriers that, you know, we've been taught from a very young age, you know, in schools or whatever. We kind of envision all these barriers, all these differences between all these people around the world. But, you know, I think traveling allows you to really break down that barrier and, and to learn through experience just how small the world is. And, and it's so fascinating out there. So uh, my endeavor right now is to just keep learning keep experiencing and keep surfing uh, you know all over the world that is the voice of Eddie Golda Rosena and we are recording the trail less traveled on the coast of eastern Australia Eddie and I met 
today while surfing in Nusha National Park. Eddie, I'd love to talk to you now about your project, Flowrad. Tell us about Flowrad, please. Now that I'm unemployed I, <laughs> and traveling the world, I figured, you know, I wanted to start a project that encapsulated what I was doing, right? That was in tune with what I'm doing now, which is, you know, traveling and seeking the flow state of mind and circling back up with what I learned from fish at a very young age, that kind of letting go and living in the moment and enjoying day by day. And Flowrad, the way I describe it is it's a different kind of nomad. You know, it's someone that's seeking to take the road less traveled, you know, trying to go off the beaten path in search of that flow state of mind via adventure sports, whatever that might be for you, and culture. So learning through culture and, and, and people. So Flowrad is a project. I have an Instagram. If you'd like to follow me, I would highly appreciate that. It's at Flowrad Life. That's F-L-O-W-R-A-D Life, all one word. And there I'll just be documenting my travels. I'll be posting photos of where I go, photos of the surf, photos of the people I meet, photos of the experiences I have, and sort of telling a story of my travels. Eddie, thank you so much for your time and energy joining me here today on The Trail Less Traveled. Thank you, Mendel. It's been a pleasure, and uh, it's great meeting you. Let's end your show with three bits of advice that you'd like to share with the listener. The first one is to live your dream. Do what you love. You know, whatever that might be, follow that dream. If you like adventure sports, if you like cars... You know, if you love your family, if it could be anything, if you love gardening, it, it doesn't matter what it is, but whatever fills your heart, spend the more and more time doing that as much as you can. Just live your dream. The second one is don't live beyond your means. Tread lightly. I think a lot of people, they want a bigger car, they want a bigger house, they want a bigger TV, they want all these material things that they think are going to make them happy, but ultimately they don't and they put you more in debt in a way they enslave you to all these things that you own i think if you live more in a minimalist mind frame and live within your your means and try and save money and use that money for traveling and experiences i think that you'll find a, a bit of a treasure there not only that but i think it's it's you know better for the environment as well to tread lightly and have more of a minimalistic mind frame the third one is to manifest your reality. I'm a believer that everything that you see out there, whether it's a house or a building or anything, it might be a design, a car, was first a thought in somebody's mind that then came to reality. I'm a true believer that whatever you think, you become. And so spend your time thinking about your ideal self, what you want to be, and where you want to be and how you envision the perfect life for yourself and just take small steps every day towards that reality and I think that you will find if you do that slowly but surely you'll start to see facets of that come true beautiful Eddie what song would you like to end your show with well picking these songs is not easy hey I picked a song by a little duo called the Wood Brothers and it's called Chocolate on My Tongue. A little bit of a darker song. Yeah, I think it encapsulates a bit of the interview that we've done here.
Namaste Missoula, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Traveled. I'd like to thank my guest for this week, Eddie Goldoresena. I met Eddie while surfing in Noosa National Park, which is located on the east coast of Australia. Eddie was born in Argentina, but moved to the United States at a young age. He had his first taste of surfing in New Zealand, which changed the course of his life thereafter. He set his intention of learning how to surf and followed it around the world, before getting a real job as a financial consultant in Switzerland, New York City, and eventually Southern California. He knew he would travel the world again at a later age, but for a decade he set money aside, improved his surfing skills, and manifested a trip around the world following culture, human connection, and surf breaks. It is currently on a multi-year trip around the world searching for what he calls the perfect wave. The Trail Less Traveled airs every Sunday evening at 6, taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. The show is recorded at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the mountains of Missoula, Montana, but most often on location around the world in order for me to find these adventurers and connect with them in their natural habitat. The Trail Less Traveled airs every Sunday night at 6. See pictures, short film clips, and follow the show as it's recorded on location around the world on the official site, traillesstraveled.net. My adventure tip this week is pretty simple, but a good one for beginner surfers. When in doubt, try your best not to let go of your board, for it could hurt someone else or most likely come back and hit you right back in the face. That's it for this week, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week's adventure, I invite you to do something for Mother Earth and get outside. Shred the gnar. Because as you know, the gnar does not shred itself.